to the KB Movie View podcast. This is episode nine of season five. Great episode this week as we chat to one of the most high-profile designers in the UK, and that's Linda Barker. She's one of the original celebrity designers, shooting to fame on changing rooms, of course, and she's now forged a very successful career as an interior designer and interior product designer. She's also, most importantly, a judge at the KVB Review Retail and Design Awards. So we'll talk about how she got into design as a profession, how she got the change Rooms gig, and she'll tell us all about a new kitchen that she designed herself that will feature on the cover of the next issue of our sister consumer title, Kitchens, Bedrooms and Bathrooms. I can see how some people would be a little bit sniffy about changing rooms, but there's no question in my mind that we wouldn't have the huge choice and variety in the KBB industry today that we have if the public's understanding and interest in interior design hadn't been kick-started by changing rooms. It's a huge influence on the trajectory of this industry, and we discuss all that too. But first... Once again, a massive thank you to our very good friends at Masterclass for being our Season 5 kitchen sponsor. As many of you will know, they are a proudly British manufacturer of quality kitchen furniture, offering an amazing range of unique products for over 45 years. To find out more about how you can become part of the Masterclass family, go to masterclasskitchens.co.uk forward slash hello hyphen studios. And don't worry, I'll put that link in the episode description. Right, as promised, joining me down the line is Linda Barker. Hello, Linda. Hello, Andrew. How are you today? I'm excellent, actually. Yeah. Good, good, good. Now, where in the world are you right now? Let's let's settle that first. Okay, I am in East Riding of Yorkshire, to give it its full title, um, on the Holderness Peninsula in particular. In the ki- I'm seated in the kitchen. Of course you are. And that is a very, very beautiful part of the world. You're very lucky, and particularly when the weather's like it is at the moment, I'm sat in a little booth sweating like a beast. Um, <laughs> so, look, thank you so much for sparing us a bit of your time. You're always incredibly busy, I know. So what, what I thought we could start with is going back to the beginning a bit, because obviously you're a very high-profile designer now, but yeah, many in this industry in particular, I think, fall into design rather than sort of pursue it from an early age so i'm wondering about you when did you first become aware of a, of design as a thing that people did for a living well it's a good question actually because even though i've been in design for a long 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 time i was actually art trained so it was really through um, a passion for art that led me into the career that I have today. So really, I was always a creative child at school, and I went to do a BA Honours degree in fine art as a painter. It was really having got my degree, I was kind of scratching my head thinking, what on earth shall I do with this degree? When I was at art school, I was painting or drawing massive massive drawings like four meters by two you know basically walls of drawings and I thought you know what I could I could do this on people's walls as a bit of a living so really I started as a kind of muralist on people's walls and and then it was the age of dare I say it paint finishes and I knew about color and uh, how to create fresco effects and all that kind of stuff so I found myself doing jobs like that paint painting walls really like (laughs) some kind of bizarre painter and decorator that was just sloshing paint about in a rather artistic fashion and I had I had a proper job as well sloshing paint around didn't really earn me any money at that stage but it was really 
it was kind of fantastic to do that in my I suppose I w- it was like in my spare time and at weekends and then I s- my house got featured because a friend of a friend knew a stylist for a magazine and she went oh can I come and see your house and it was like she said this is really amazing I think it could go in a magazine and she proposed it to House Beautiful magazine they took it they featured me as an up-and-coming designer and I thought oh there's something in this so I packed in my job and started doing it full-time and that's how it started I think it always helps when things like that stem from a passion for it. It's that old thing about your hobby being also your job. If that's what your thing is, it propels you forward in a way that it perhaps doesn't if you're doing it in quite a a functional way. Yes, I was brought up on a farm, one of five children, and we were incredibly practical. And I, although I went to quite an academic school, I I wasn't necessarily very academic. and And so even though I was like, I was decorating as a as a youngster as a like 12 year old I would be putting up wallpaper in my grandma's house to earn some summer money you know and all the time throughout my teens I was going I wonder what I could do for a living and then I was painting kitchens and bathrooms in my in my parents house I was going wonder what I could do as a living scratching my head thinking look at the bleeding obvious you know I've been doing it you know forever like Trans, the power of transforming interiors was always something I massively enjoyed. And yet, I think it was, um, I, I don't think I even realized it was such a job as an interior designer. It just didn't exist in my world. So it was, it was fabulous once I realized that that's how I could earn my money. Well, that brings me nicely, Linda. We're going to fast forward it to changing rooms now, right? Because that brings me on to my theory i've pets it's one of my pet subjects believe it or not changing rooms right oh, good Lord. I, I know that i frequently annoy people with late at night usually standing at a bar and here it is it's that we wouldn't have the wide-ranging design-led kitchen and bathroom interiors market that we have today without changing rooms right now i'll bore you with that in a minute completely so brace yourself but i, I just i'm sure you've told this story a million million times but how did you get that gig And I think more interestingly, how did they pitch it to you? Interesting. Yes. How I got the gig was I was working in magazines. So I was I was decorating houses on a small scale, just building up a bit a small business. People would ask me if I could, and I'm I'm incredibly practical. So I can knock up a piece of furniture out of timber. I can hang curtains, I can make curtains. So I was doing that kind of business. And I just had my daughter, Jessica, and I thought, I can't run around the country doing this job. I want to be much more kind of home-based. So I started, I went back to the magazines and I started working for, you know, styling magazine shoots. Loved that, loved doing photo shoots of interiors and making things and craft makes and all that kind of stuff. And so that's, that's really how the producers of changing rooms got hold of me because they'd seen a book and some magazine articles that I'd done and they called me in. So it was really a big fishing net that they chucked to capture people like me, interior designers, I suppose anyone sort of in that, interiors creative field so I got dragged in via that net so there was lots of people 
that they captured, me and Lawrence include, you know, Lawrence included. So I was then asked to go into a production office, Basel Productions, and they'd done not many programs. They were doing food and drink, if you remember that, mm-hmm. with Oz Clark. And um, I think that was their only program that were they producing at the time. Anyway, they wanted this interior design program. They didn't really know how it would look but they'd pitched it to the BBC and they'd got the BBC quite excited. So then they were desperate for these people to occupy the stage, as it were. They didn't really want anyone that had been on television, but so they didn't want a presenter. They did definitely want designers. And there had been no interior design programmes to that date. So people like me were, it, it, it was a big unknown. Anyway, I thought this sounded quite interesting. So I went along. I... They obviously quite liked me on my interview because they asked me then to do a screen test. So I was like going, oh, my God, what do I do as a screen test? And they were going, well, just rock up to this flat, which was one of the production team's flat in London. We'll point a camera at you for half an hour. And I thought, okay, right. So I thought, I wonder what they said, just do, you know, make the bed or just kind of talk to camera, make a bed, you know put a bit of fabric around or whatever so I thought all right okay so I rocked up in my um, car with a stepladder in the back with a power driver in in my back and reams of fabric and some oh I think they were like broom handles and literally it was this smart flat apartment in Notting Hill and I drilled they went action and I went I drilled the ceiling I hung two broom poles from the ceiling draped fabric round down made this like four poster bed in 20 minutes and I think they kind of went oh flipping heck who, who's this who's this nutter this northern bird that can run up ladders and wield a power driver around I honestly think that that's what got me the job they'd done the same with Lawrence I think so by the time I met up with Lawrence I thought oh I get it they've got the long dark-haired, posh guy, and they've got the short, blonde, very northern girl. I thought, genius winning combination. And we got on really well, and um, that was that. So I think that's how it happened, really. I mean, that's what's so fascinating about it to me, because I'm going to bore you with the theory now. As you quite rightly say, there was no other interior design shows. There just hadn't been them. There'd been lots of cookery shows, and they'd had kind of very different formats approached it. But they'd never, they'd never really done interior design before because I don't think most people were really aware of what that was, right? No. And so, so Changing Rooms was basically a game show, right? And it was incredibly fun. And, and I think the Netflix generation probably won't realise how massive that show was. I mean, it was absolutely enormous. But it was basically a game show. But what it did, though, is it opened the, the eyes of the general public, the mass market, to interior design as something that they could have and they could do. Right? Exactly. Yeah, nothing. There was nothing before oh. that. There was, you know, and, and really people had heard of in, um, interior designers, but they were not for the general public. They were not. They were for rock stars and film stars, you know, and they had huge mansions and they'd employ their interior designers it really wasn't for everybody else everybody else had to cope with 
oh, I don't know, the catalogue that Dulux decided to put out once a year or something. It really wasn't. I, I know when my mum and dad went for a new sofa, they'd go to the department store and, you know, they'd choose their new sofa. I re really remember this vividly because, as I say, I think the interior design brain cells were, were kind of crackling away in my head even at a, a young age and they they kind of got a, a sofa a three-piece suite delivered and bless them someone in the design in well not even the design department in the furniture department said you might want to paint your walls this color to you know complement the sofa and they'd done that and that was just pivotal for me I went into this room and I went I was blown away by it you know and I thought wow this is this is magic. This is really incredible. Without realizing, this is the power of interior design and, and decoration. Well, this is it. I mean, before before changing rooms, most and I'm saying most people because, as you say, this, the, the interior design was a profession. But most people would never have dreamed of even painting one wall a different color than the other three, right? And oh the, my the idea God! That no, you had a three-piece suite. That was it. You couldn't have like chairs of different types or whatever in in the same room. By presenting it in a really entertaining way, it showed people they could try anything. It showed designers as, yes, they were very flamboyant in some cases or very, you know, northern in others. But, you know, it showed them as approachable, real people who got their hands dirty a bit as well. I mean, who the hell knew what MDF was before changing rooms came along, for God's sake? No, exactly. It, nobody knew what it was. So this design literacy, I suppose, sort of spread like wildfire. And even in this industry, as an example... You went from having a choice of five colours to having a choice of 50 colours. And it was because of that that influence, I think. I absolutely agree. I mean, it, it was a phenomenal time to be doing a programme like that. I mean, we just got massive amount of views and there were only four channels. The two BBC, ITV and Channel 4. And maybe it was only three. I can't remember when Channel 4 came. I'm pretty sure Channel 4 was there. But it was a tiny amount of channels and everybody sat down to watch changing rooms i think it was on the thursday night but it must have changed forgive the pun your life almost instantaneously because it was a it was an, a hit straight away so you overnight you must have gone down to, to sainsbury's or whatever and you know that must have been a, a, such an odd moment it was odd and you're right it did it did hit enormously as soon as it was transmitted from the very very first program people were talking about it you know, the next day. And there was lots of press interest. And yeah, it was phenomenal. I was kind of blown away by it. It was very exciting. I mean, importantly for me, I think for Lawrence as well, and everybody that got involved on the programme, we were employable, you know, we were, we had a, a good gig, we were doing beautiful, well, at the time, we always thought we were doing beautiful interiors, although, you know, you look back at it now and you gasp in horror. But, um, you know, we, we were employable. We, were, we had new careers in television and people respected us and talked about us and wrote about us. And it was like, wow, this is, this is pretty. But yeah, but not, not just you, interior design in general. Well, yeah, that was exciting when, without realising it, we did have, or then maybe we did realise it. I mean, people like Ikea, who were just launching, I think, wanted us to use all their stuff all the time. They wanted their own channel with us presenting it. Of course, the BBC were very sniffy about that. You couldn't work for anybody apart from them. 
the DI sheds were, you know, the B&Qs, the home bases of this world were terrifically excited. The wallpaper manufacturers, Graham and Brown, there was crown wall coverings. They were super excited. They wanted us to, you know, to have ranges. And, you know, it was a, a, a fabulously energetic and exciting time. Yeah, it was a real ex- explosion of interest in it. And I suppose it invented the idea of the celebrity designer. There's always been celebrity chefs, for example, but suddenly there was this team of celebrity designers. I'm wondering, though, was there a sort of downside to that, a professional downside to it, do you think? I mean, do you think it sort of damages, or not damages is the wrong word, but sort of slightly dilutes serious design credentials by being a celebrity? Yeah, I mean, the design was of a certain ilk because it was very... It was for for every reason why people loved it. It was cheap. It was using everyday materials. And we were just encouraging people to be creative with things. I mean, we had a budget of 500 quid to do an entire room. So did you really, though? Did you really? Oh, my goodness. Yes. They were extraordinarily strict on that one. They itemized everything and we absolutely couldn't spend any more than the budget right. allowed. I was new to the to the interior design marketplace, as it were. There were some designers that were a bit sniffy about it, you know, going, oh, they're not proper designers. And, and in, in a sense, we were. We were young kids. We were just starting up. And so it took us away from our normal career trajectory. So I would have, you know, ordinarily done a, a, a slow incline and started to work perhaps with an established interior designer and, and gone through my career route that way, which is much more established. But it, it, it thrust me to the top of my game, really, without, without having worked for that many years in the business. So it was, I was, we were all learning on our feet, really. And we were doing, um, you know, everyday houses council houses and mm. rental properties for like we worked for the uh, I think it was the army the British army and in barracks you know what what do people do when they have rental properties so we were you know we were working on very regular ordinary houses certainly nothing very glamorous which we ordinarily would have been doing in, in an interior design career so it did create kind of a unique designers out of us really um and there we were that was our career for i don't know 10 10 12 years or so i do think it was enormously influential on the entire market like i say just opening people's eyes to what was possible and now i think you know there's such a huge range available to people and they have such open minds to, to trying and doing new things at all points and ranges of price points throughout the whole market and i do think you can trace it all back to that you know i don't think you should underestimate the influence of it that's my that's my pet theory anyway that it all goes back to that mdf teapot smashing changing rooms yeah and i i do agree with you i think it, it opens so many doors i mean interior design i didn't even know you could i don't think you could study interior design at university or college when we first started and now you know interior design is on the curriculum yeah and everyone with an instagram account is now effectively an interior designer of their own houses people are becoming enormously influential as you were and are just by putting their own house up on Instagram, doing doing a very similar thing. I mean, look, let's sort of fast forward it a bit now because I want to talk to you about your own 
Kitchen because I know you've just finished it. And I know you've just finished it because we're going to feature it in our sister magazine, Kitchens, Bedrooms and Bathrooms, our consumer magazine. So, look, you're sat in it now. Talk me through it because I've seen the pictures and it's a beautiful bit of work. So talk me through it. Thank you. It is lovely. It's in a Georgian house. I found this house uh, about five years ago on the internet, on Rightmove, just, you know, on a lazy Sunday in bed going through Rightmove. That's how exciting my life is. Um, And I was, um, I've always done property, always. I've loved it. I've loved, uh, I, I don't do it to kind of flip property. I'm not a property developer, but I've always loved the houses that I've bought and we've I've always bought wrecks and done them up it's just fascinating to me I absolutely love that process and so does my husband thankfully we'd seen this beautiful Georgian house up in Yorkshire and it oh my it just blew my socks off and I thought god I've got to go see that house and we saw it fell in love with it bought it lovely slightly longer process than that but there you go and then um when it and it was it was exhausted the house was exhausted it was decorated in the late 70s 80s it was pink and floral was wallpaper wood chip you know brown kitchen oatmeal tiles with wheat sheaves on them racing green cooker oh i mean it was pretty ghastly but but the Georgian house, oh, the bare bones were just astounding, really, really lovely. So I kind of knew that this was going to be a great house to do. And the kitchen grew because, I mean, the original kitchen, I didn't need big kitchens when this was, house was built 202 years ago. So it inhabited a very central space in the house, kind of landlocked room, you know, very little natural light, tiny space. But with Georgian House, you get things like drawing rooms. <laughs> and so so I, I basically knocked the kitchen into its adjoining drawing room and created this beautiful space. And there on in, I just started to develop, like any, like I would do with any client, really, an ideas board, a concept boards. You know, I'm a huge consumer of looking at magazines and I have design books, as you could imagine. And it's where do we go with it? Where do we stop that creative flow of ideas? But I knew how I wanted it to work. I, I'm from a big family. We entertain. I know my color palette is strong. It's blacks. It's, it's quite dark. And yet it's got a breath of fresh air, I hope. It's got a lightness and color is at the heart of it so if I use a very dark it's a very dark olive green to cut to the chase with with heavy black detail in it black handles I've got black kind of metal cradles that support a concrete sink I've got um, an overhang of a, a long island unit which is supported by black metalwork. so I kind of knew my fundamentals I knew I'm really based in earthy, strong colours. I know that greens are a, a passionate kind of colour to use for me, particularly now. I, so it's very much rooted in twenty in the 2020s. You know, it's, it, I don't, I'm not sure I would have done this kitchen 10 years ago, but now it's here. I can imagine it being here forever. So it's strong. It's very grounded. I needed a, 
a Long Island unit. I knew I wanted to future-proof this kitchen, so I didn't really want to use a lot of gas appliances. But I love cooking on gas, but the new induction, like the Bora induction with a tepan yeah. pan is just astoundingly good in this kitchen. Do you know, I'm very fortunate because, you know, I work with you guys at KBB. I sit with the likes of, you know, Johnny Gray when we're doing all our judging panels for, and it's, it's fascinating working with those people. I love it. And, and I'm as much a sponge as, as a, a fly on the wall would be in one of those meetings. I feel incredibly privileged to, to be able to sit there and listen to other designers and designers at the very top of their game and how they communicate the, uh, the aspect of kitchen design. So it's, it's kind of, you know, my brain is like soaking all this in. I've got my palette of colors. I've got the kitchens that I've always wanted to design in my head that I haven't yet been able to put out, out there for a client or whatever. So I've got this arsenal of tools in my belt. And so I unleash them really into this kitchen. So I have got the most beautiful space. I mean, it's a big space as well. So, it, you know, it occupies a, a great floor plan which enables me to look after 20 people for dinner as it does just Chris and myself it works on a very gentle people approach and it works for a massive people approach and it it, it encompasses everything I love it's got recycled timber um, it's got a concrete sink that I designed with a company called concrete carrot because I wanted, I didn't want just an ordinary sink. I wanted a sink to look like a rice bowl that just sat on the counter. Well, you know what it's like in kitchens. You don't get countertop sinks in kitchens, but I wanted that. And I wanted a lot of um, textural elements. I wanted hardworking elements like my Caesar stone worktop. I had to work with some marble discs that I'd kind of inherited, basically because I'm quite, fastidious with waste I don't like waste and I'm very sustainably driven so I I got a, my best ever dining table made my dining table top using some lovely marble and rather than leave the 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 bits that are left over at the stone yard I went right I'm, I'm going to cut all those little bits up into discs and I'm going to use them for little tables around my house so I've got a beautiful offcut of marble that in, uh, sits over a, a metal frame that is powder coated black and I love it it just works really well it works well for us and well you can tell I'm very passionate about it yeah. I think it operates really well I've got like a, an area that has got a, a smaller cabinets in it which I where everybody makes tea and coffee and it's got a juice machine and everybody can inhabit that and make their own thing where the cooking area is quite separate and I've got Miele ovens a steam oven because I'm quite a healthy cook and and they're at eye level because I hate lying on, you know, lying on the floor to get stuff out of the oven. Like, you know, you, when you see Great British, British Bake Off, they're all lying on the floor to see how the cakes are rising, yeah. which I think is inherently bad design. So, you know, I, I've learned so much in my career as a designer and particularly sitting on the judging panel of KBB. And I put it all into practice, I think. What I really like about it, actually, is knowing you a little as I do, it's very you, which is which is probably a phrase you hate, but it looks like your kitchen. You as client as well as designer 
have kind of done a good job together, if, if that makes sense, because it, it clearly picks up on, on all the elements that make you who you are. And the way you describe it, obviously, very passionate about it too. Did you work with anybody on the design of it, or was it literally all you? You must have had those cabinets made, did you? No, it was really Chris and I. We found um, a company that does all the CNC cutting in Lancashire. And so I, I met them and I, I loved what they were doing. They hadn't done many kitchens, but we basically just designed it on paper. Chris and I, you know, on an evening we'd sit down and we'd go, well, we want these, you know, this in our kitchen. We want this in our kitchen. So we basically drew it on paper. I mean, I really like the, the power of the scale rule as well. So I, I'm not necessarily designing on computer either. Well, certainly not for my space. I'm, I'm literally drawing it. You know, we're sitting on an evening, having a glass of wine, drawing the kitchen and just getting the detail great for us, getting the, working out how people move through the space, the traffic and how I want people to sit in the space. So no, it was very much pencil and paper and a scale rule for us. And from that, I then took it to um, uh, this company called Basically Trade in um, Lancashire and they did a wire work drawing for us and kind of realized it in 3D, which is all very beautiful. And we just pressed the green button and went, yep, yep, that's good, let's go. Um, and they basically take all your measurements um, and they tap them into the computer and, and, and they cut every single piece of timber that goes into the construction. The boxes then get delivered, so then we assemble the boxes. I, mean, I think as you've seen when we do the judging, for example, for the awards, I guess you can almost find something wrong with everything, can't you? There's lots of subjectivity to it, as I always say. That's why we have a judging panel. But it, the ones I love the most are the ones where they just captured the essence of the person who's going to use it. And yes, I'm sure other designers might have done something differently or put something in a different place or you know chosen a different this, that, or the other. But I think if you've you know the most important part of that judging, I always think is who is the client and what is it they want. And I think when you're the client as well as the designer, I think you know, that surely that, that creates the best possible product. Yeah, and it's not to say there's no dialogue. There is always dialogue and there are always uh, changes. You know, that's with someone who pretty much knows what they want. It is fascinating building a... Sp and I'm enormously flattered that you think it reflects who I am because I believe it does as well. And Chris... I think it's it, it encompasses you know everything we want and it does reflect it really reflects who who I am. Are you like famously Brian Clough? You know the the football manager Brian Clough. He was asked once what happens if a player comes to him and wants to talk to him about some of his decisions he's made, and Brian Clough says, "Well, what we do is we sit down, we talk about it, and then we decide that I was right." <laughs> I'm imagining that's you and Chris talking about <laughs> interior design. <laughs> You'd have to ask Chris. I mean, Chris <laughs> is, uh, yeah, we work very well together. But yeah, he really loves my, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I mean, there were not many arguments, actually. We've never really argued uh, in any of the houses that we've, we've done. No, we, we are on the same page. I mean, I'm sure there are little things that we niggle about, but not many. Not many. And he is incredibly practical. Although, you know, he, he's built this kitchen, you know, and that's no mean feat. A kitchen fitter is worth their weight in gold. And he was doing all that job. And he's very, very practically minded. And I think the two of us work 
exceptionally well together. Well, look, Linda, the time's running out here, but thank you so much for talking to us. And you can hear how much you look, you love it through just through the way you describe it. So it's, it's always fantastic to hear designers and owners talk about you know their projects in such a in such a passionate way. I hope you'll join us again as a judge in the awards for this year or twenty twenty three. Well, it'd be nice to get round the table and see everybody, but now they'll be able to see my kitchen. I'm, I'm a slightly trepidatious. <laughs> what will they say? Well, it depends if you tell them that it's yours or not. <laughs> Maybe I'll keep them. No, I'm incredibly proud of it. And, uh, you know, I dance here on a regular basis. It just makes my heart sing this space. Well, brilliant. Look, Linda, thank you so much for spending a bit of time with us and talking us through all this stuff. Uh, and I'll see you on the judging day. Incredible. I shall look forward to it. Thank you, Andrew. Well, that was Linda Barker, of course, speaking to me from her new kitchen. Such an interesting story, I think, and it just shows how even high-profile designers are still learning and soaking up new influences and experiences. Don't forget, that entries are open now for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2023. It's totally free to enter, and we have categories for designers, retailers, suppliers and installers, so there's something for everyone. Go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards to find everything you need to know. And of course, a huge thanks to our Season 5 kitchen sponsor, Masterclass, for their support. To find out more about how you can become part of the Masterclass family, go to masterclasskitchens.co.uk forward slash hello hyphen studios. And I will put both of those links in the episode description so you don't have to remember them. See you next time.